Hello, listeners, and welcome to... Yes, we are presenting a treat for you here. Welcome to the Maximum Gold Podcast with Nate Maxson and David Gold. Of course, I am Nate Maxson. And I'm David Gold. Or you can also call me Paul Bear. Oh, yes! <laughs> there you go. I like it. <laughs> a, a, a real star on this show this week. Finally. This month. Maybe this we'll is a treat for listener this week. Yes. This, this is a treat for everybody because I don't think we've done one of these shows in six months. Listen, we're busy men. It is what it is. Ugh. David has an asylum. David David has an asylum empire to run. I have a podcast empire to run. We're busy. All right. Has it really only been six months? It feels like it feels like it's twenty twenty two. I think it was. I think it was actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was actually February when we had the last episode. So, oh lord, we've been slacking. Yes, yes sir. Um, but speaking of uh, asylum business and uh, WrestleNet Radio podcast business, I guess we'll get the plugs out of the way to start the show, and then we'll get into our fun because we're gonna we're gonna volley some questions at each other this time around and just have a little fun with it. But um, do you want to let our listeners know that don't already know that are living under a rock? about the upcoming Wrestle Bash event. All right. Well, I could do it like uh, Monster Jam style. August, August, August. <laughs> <laughs> um, August the 20th, 2022, for those of you who do not know, I don't know how you would not know, we are having a convention called the Asylum Wrestling Bash, Wrestle Bash, uh, if we're being politically correct. Uh, right now, we have sales on our store at the asylumwrestlingstore.com. Not to be confused with what everyone seems to call us, the Wrestling Asylum. I don't know why. Maybe we are a little weird. crazy. But on the asylumwrestlingstore.com, it has all one million guests that are coming. <laughs> we don't have enough room on the poster. In fact, I just got a private message just now asking if we're adding any more people to the poster, which we actually have no room. <laughs> so... With that being said, on August the 20th, um, it's only $15 right now until August 1st for general admission. So if you're going to get your tickets, get them now. Uh, we have headliners such as Kevin Nash, Sergeant Slaughter, X-Pac, Booker T, Orange Cassidy, Ron Simmons, Ethan Page, and Scorpio Sky. Obviously, lots of other guests that will be there for anyone that loves it. You have Indies, you have NWA, you have Impact, you have AW. You just have a little bit of everything. You have folks that... ROH, you have folks that work for MLW, you know, or MCW, or whatever, whatever you want. You got legends, you got people like Buff Bagwell, Rikishi, Earl Hebner. The list just goes on. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, I don't know what's stopping you. Maybe you like paying $5 more at the door. That's totally up to you. We do take walk-ups, but we also will have a tent with folks that pre-ordered that will get into the convention hall sooner. Uh, but that's basically what's going on. I mean, it's a big deal. Uh, we're about a month and I'd say 11 days away. So 41 days or so away from the convention. So we hope to see you all there. I hope to see a line so long that I can go outside and slow. Remember that, uh, movie Bruce Almighty. Yes. Running down the, uh, you know, and pouring milk in everyone's cups. Cause they made that giant cookie. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do if I see a bunch of people. I have your cups ready. I'm going to run with some milk. <laughs> so. And and not to mention, not to mention, you can meet some of your favorite folks from the Asylum and from the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network. 
David Gold. Uh, we'll have Archie Mitchell there, who's a little bit of both. Nick Maxson, who's a little bit of both. Um, is Mike Zecca, the the king of videos and uh, images. You can meet Nick Francis, the the Southern draw, uh, <laughs> the the belt king. You can uh, meet Andy Schiff Kumar, the print king. Uh, you can meet. Uh, I don't know if Aaron's going to be there, but maybe you can meet a little bit of Aaron. Well, the so, the, uh, the 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 unfortunate thing, unfortunately, is for me, I cannot attend in person. And the only reason I cannot attend in person is that very same weekend we have to go to Kentucky for my wife's father's seventieth birthday bash. Wow. It just so coincided with that. However, however, I am planning on trying to drop in virtually while I'm down there. So maybe we can record some stuff for the podcast for, uh, for, you know, for the asylum podcast. Uh, but yeah, it was like, damn, does it have to be that weekend? And yes, it right. does. Why can't that, you go there and then head up to new, uh, head up to Kentucky on Sunday. You know, that is, that is actually the day of the convention is his birthday. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I get it. So. 70th is a big year. So I totally understand so no judgment on my part. There are a lot of folks that aren't going to make it in. Obviously you can do mail-ins, uh, send your items in to get autographed. That's not a problem. Uh, so lots of vendors will be there. So it's a big deal. And are you going to do, I, I guess I haven't, um, haven't, I know, I know this is more for in-person stuff, but are you going to do any virtual stuff going on there at the convention uh we'll probably go live a couple times and show off maybe do some giveaways on the page mm-hmm. uh, i know cheyenne ortiz will be there he's a big deal to everybody in the internet community um we call him the voice uh sneak peek there is a show with cheyenne coming up on the week on the WrestleNet network but mm-hmm. hopefully that can get going soon and uh Lots of uh, good folks will be there. Uh, we'll have some Wrestling Universe from uh, New York and New Jersey there. Uh, Erica Hollingsworth will be joining us to help out. We have Kimmy, uh, Kimmy Sokol joining us, who helped a lot at a bunch of other conventions and is a pretty big deal and used to work with a bunch of other vendors. Um, so it's just going to be a fun time. It's going to be stressful, obviously, until that day comes because we have a lot of work to do. But um mm-hmm. You know, until now, until then, you know, all I can say is, is that get your tickets, don't miss out, save your five bucks, and uh, maybe you can beat yourself in that line. So, and I, and I, and I, and I also want to say, just as a as a sidebar, and and not to beat it over the head, but if you guys experience the asylum virtual meet and greets, and you you have to realize the work that goes into that, coordinating the stream, getting everybody in and out. All of that stuff, the hard work that 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 David and the guys do, it's if you think they did a good do a good job with that, which I mean you can tell me if I'm wrong, David, but when you're there in person, doing a virtual is almost more challenging, isn't it? Because you don't have the people right there physically. You have to coordinate everything virtually and remotely. So I can imagine that you're gonna have a good, fun, organized time, especially in a live situation. Oh, it's I, I can just give you some examples. I mean, when we did our shows with Kurt Angle, with Kane, with uh, Scott Hall, rest, God rest his soul, um, it was just easier. Like, And you had the stuff there. You weren't sweating about the stuff being mailed back to you in good condition. Mm-hmm. You weren't waiting for weeks because they're on the road. You don't know when they can box it up. 
Right. Some pieces come in and you're waiting for others. So you have people messaging you all the time. Where's my stuff? And it's like, look, you know, they went on the road for three weeks. So mm -hmm. I, I'm unfortunately on their time. So yeah, these in-person shows are a lot easier in some ways. I mean, yeah, the virtual, when they're not there, you don't have to travel. You can sit at home in your underwear. Right. That, just so we know. That's actually <laughs> he was in his underwear. But um, I mean, you wrestle in your underwear. So I mean, what right? Yeah. <laughs> what difference does it make? I mean, Hacksaw's attire was basically blue underwear, you know, so <laughs> and black earlier in his career. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a lot easier. You got your stuff with you. You can get it out right away. Um, we're doing a signing with Nash the night before for some folks that don't want to, that can't make it to see him in person. You can mail your item in or get something signed from us uh, the night before and we'll be there. And you just can verify the condition of the stuff, you know? Right. It's a lot easier because, uh, see, the other thing is, is that the key is, is that, for example, I'll use Thunder Rose as an example. You got figures coming in from ringside. So we ordered 60 figures from ringside because it was just easier to get a hold of them. Then you get them in, ship to you. Then you got to ship them all to her. Then she's got to ship them back. Then you ship them out to the customer. That's four times. You're praying these items get to the, each destination safely. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Yes, yes. That is relying a lot on fate. But you guys do a great job with it. I mean, I can say and I, this isn't this isn't just because, you know, I'm I'm part of the part of the part of the machine here. I've never gotten anything that was damaged that I've that I've had signed. I've never gotten, you know, none of my yeah, like you said David, I've had to wait a little longer for something once in a while, but you know what? When it oh, comes to that, I actually was digging through not to cut you off, but Mm -hmm. I was actually digging through some eight by tens and I have a Heath Slater for you here that I need to get out. So that happens too, where I have so much stuff that right. an eight by ten, in fact, I'm looking at it right now, labeled two Nate right here. So, um, you know, this, this is probably maybe the fourth time this has happened in two years, which I would say it's pretty good percent, but yeah. Um, there is an occasion or two where somebody's print like, and luckily it's yours because you're not going to throw a fit about it, obviously, because you know you'll get it. But right at the end of the day, it got buried underneath like a hundred thousand other eight by tens. And when I was kind of cleaning up, I'm like, holy shit, there's a Heath Slater in here that belongs to Nate. <laughs> and you're probably sitting there like, I have a Heath Slater. <laughs> what? <laughs> which 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 shows you how I spend my money, folks. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that the show's going to be a great thing. And I think anybody that's listening to this knows about it, but if you haven't made the, the if you haven't made the leap and decided to go do it, it sounds like it's going to be a great experience with lots of talent to meet and just a good time. And, and if you're in the asylum, you know, it's like a family. So it, it's also cool with something like that to get to meet people that you interact with on the internet in person, you know? Hey, I know who you are. We've we've discussed figures on on the web or whatever. We've we've argued about wrestling. We've you know or whatever. But it's cool to meet people in person that you have only met virtually. So, oh, for sure. I mean, you're gonna get to get to get your Nick Francis and David Gold print signed by Buff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't want that. We're gonna have extras of those too for everybody. So. Going to be a good time had by all, and I would uh, I would be remiss if I didn't. You know, you're already listening to this podcast. 
But if you don't listen to our other shows here on the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network, a couple that I would recommend. Of course, there's Archie's show, if you smell what the arch is cooking. Uh, Mark Brew's new show, Mark's Indie Spotlight. Like David said, he and Cheyenne Ortiz are going to have a show coming up very soon on the network, as soon as we can coordinate to get that recorded. The Golden Voices podcast. Very much looking forward to that. Um, the We Can't Wrestle podcast, of course, which is kind of our flagship show where all of us at times convene to talk about lots of things wrestling. Some Sometimes we're talking about the 90s. Sometimes we're talking about the, the 80s, uh, a pay-per-view. Right now we're on like s- episode seven of a series where we are going through the very first Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500, from 500 through number one. Um, I'm actually working on, actually, I just talked to her today within the next couple of weeks because I was a huge fan of Bad News Brown. All right. Well, I still am, but you know what I mean. Um, coming up in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be recording an interview with his daughter, Frances Coage, to talk about her dad and his legacy. And I think that's going to be really cool. Um, for, especially for me as a fan of him, just to be able to talk to her about his career and, you know, his, when she was a kid and et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be really neat. And then last and not least, mm, kind of my favorite show to do. Of course, other than this one, David is reliving the, reliving the extreme where my brother, Aaron ECW's Chad Austin and myself are week by week going through the history of ECW and reviewing the TV shows and the big, big events of ECW. We are currently in late 1994. Things are popping off. Uh, Benoit just showed up. Malenko just showed up. So things are really heating up in ECW. And we have great analysis of the show. Uh, Some first-person experience, having been in the locker room from Chad talking about ECW. And then also, of course, as we do, there is a lot of comedy involved as well. So give any of those shows a listen, um, and we appreciate it. And uh, that being said, unless you have anything oh, else you want to talk about. Oh, sure. Yeah, real quick, PWTV, if you haven't downloaded the app, yes, it's a yes. big deal. We post our meet and greets on there. There's, uh, mm-hmm. I think we most recently posted one up there. That's really good. I know Mick Foley's on there and uh, Thunder Rose is on there. So some good shows. Give it a watch. You can kind of get an idea of what our meet and greets look like. And uh, just, just understand that um, – our online stuff is a real virtual meet and greet experience. It's not, you're watching, a, and look, I mean, like I said, everyone does virtuals. They're, everyone has their niche. Everyone does a great job. But at the end of the day, ours is the only experience where you can physically come in and actually talk to the person while they're signing your item mm-hmm. and have a conversation with them, ask a question, and enjoy yourself while they're signing it. So it is to me, it's it's a different experience, and we do not charge an arm and a leg for you to do so. It's not paying a hundred bucks for a cameo. So, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So, what we're going to do on the show this time around, like I said, is, um, what's your take on something? That's kind of the gist here. I'm going to pose one to David, then he'll pose one to me. I have four for you, sir, and. It could just be a conversation. And of course, we'll probably give our own opinion on the question we ask too. Um, so I'll start. What is your take on this? Does John Cena never turning heel hurt or help his legacy? So to me, I don't think it hurt his legacy, but I think it hurt to the hardcore fan 
Mm-hmm. The hardcore fan is like someone who was like doing backflips when Hogan turned heel. Right. Um, when Andre the Giant turned heel, right? Um, mm-hmm. When Paul Orndorff turned heel. These were guys that were faces that were big deals. Um, Andre was probably the biggest deal. I'm going to tell you right now, you can argue all day long, but Andre was larger than life and probably more over than Hogan at one point. Absolutely. And with that being said, he's more over than any of the current folks now. Let's just be real. Wrestling is different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with that being said, John Cena's legacy, WWE built him for the children and the younger teenager and demographic, the PG graphic, I'm going to call it. So I don't think it hurt his legacy. I think outside of wrestling, that is what's kind of trumped anything he did in the squared circle. I mean, the dude has made more make-a-wishes than anybody. Yes. Um, He's done more than some of us could wish to dream of. He's He's an awesome individual. And I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about him. Now, was I one of the people that was tired of him? That's because I'm a hardcore fan, and Mm -hmm. I miss the Attitude Era. And I miss – because even in the Golden Era, it wasn't as PG as it is now. Right. So, I mean – so my answer, since that was super long, was uh, I don't think so. I think his legacy is fine. I just think it hurt his – uh, fan, you know, the one time I marked for Cena was when he joined the NWL. <laughs> I know that was like a vignette, really, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's not get into that, right? The difference between a vignette and a... But um, <laughs> I think that I popped when he joined the NWL and had on the shirt and played the guitar and all that stuff. Um, so I don't think it did part of his legacy. So. And and I agree with you. Uh, and that what what spawned me to pose this question to you was watching the 20 year of 20 years of John Cena episode of Raw and watching those I mean WWE films they're better than NFL films I think. I don't think there's a better film company ma- in making films than the WWE. Um when they they made those films, you know, that they aired during Raw and I was thinking a lot about his 20 years and also about the fact that when he first started I hated his stinking guts. And he grew on me and he really did become one of the best of all time. You know, I mean, I dare anybody to go watch his matches with Shawn Michaels or his matches with Triple H or his matches with Edge or any number of opponents and tell me he's not one of the greatest of all time. Because if you do, you're full of crap. I mean, let's be honest. Um, He's had an amazing career. And like you said, the Make-A-Wish um, the outside the ring stuff like with Hollywood. Uh, that's another thing is you don't hear anybody. If you see anything with anybody um, in entertainment with him, it's never like, you know, the, Oh, it's a pro wrestler thing. It's John Cena. He's a star, you know, and he's again, it seems like he's a very genuine, great, caring guy. And I think that a heel turn a heel run could have been fun. I'm not saying it couldn't have been, but I don't think he walks away with less of a legacy by not doing that. You know, Hogan, let's be honest, Hogan had to do that. Hogan had to do that to rejuvenate his career. And Cena never did. Yeah, because Hogan also had a steroid scandal and um, 
a lot of stuff going against him too. So he, yeah. yeah, you're right. He didn't have a choice. And my favorite match of Cena's was against Dumaga. In the oh, I that last man standing match. Last man, yeah, last man. Yo, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's my that's my favorite. Yes, that's my favorite last man standing match. I love that match. I mean, honestly, what I wanted to see was like a hell in the cell match for the belt, right? And a face is winning, and then John Cena comes out in his rapper gimmick and turns heel. And mm-hmm. screw somebody out of the belt. That would have been a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. kids would have hated him, but the adults and the hardcore fans would have been like, Yes, finally. <laughs> and that well, um that would have been the key too, would be to turn him heel on uh, you couldn't just turn him heel on anybody. You know, you would have to turn him heel on somebody that was um of the same kind of you could have turned I bet you could have turned him heel on Rey Mysterio and it would have worked. You know, because yeah, Ray, Ray was kind of the same kind of a kid, kid friendly character at that point. Yeah, I don't think fans really liked the night. The fact when uh, Cena beat uh, actually the closest Cena got to being a heel, in my opinion, was when Ray won the belt and then Cena beat him later that night. Yeah, yeah. and then the fans marked out when uh, CM Punk came out with the belt. Um. That was pretty close to being a heel right there. People hated him for beating Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, I did too. I'm like, really? <laughs> so I guess I guess I was right. He did turn heel on Rey Mysterio. <laughs> Two hours later. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, the summer of punk. All right. So my question is going to piggyback off of yours, actually, because I'm a okay. skillet from you, so it's not original at all. Because I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't know your format here, so I just thought of it. So mine's going to be a legacy question, too. Do you think Sting becoming Crow Sting in the 90s against the NWO hurt his legacy? I do not. However, I do think what hurt his legacy was two things. The fallout from Starcade 97 started it. And I say that because the, the you you built a story for a year and a half, and you didn't you didn't um, you you paid it off that night, but you took it away. The the Sting beating Hogan at Starcade '97 should have been you should have the next night the NWO should have split up, and that should have been the end of it. And but what I think really hurt his legacy, and I think he somewhat rebounded it in the years prior or in the years after, what really, to me, killed it off was when they put him in the wolf pack. Yeah, that was tough. It's just, it didn't make any sense. And you're taking this character, like I said, that you built for a year and a half to be this loner and this guy that WCW's on his back and, and you know, he's going to lead WCW to triumph over the NWO and then he joins the NWO and, and he's just part of a group and it just didn't work. It just, they screwed the whole thing. It was so well done until Starcade, and then they just screwed it up. He should have beat Hogan. The NWO should have split up and been dissolved within six months and Sting should have been champion for a year. That's my humble opinion. I think, um, I think you're right. It did not hurt his legacy, but 
I do think it washed out a lot of the stuff he did earlier in his career, and it caused a lot of people to forget how great his feuds was with like Mick Foley and Vader, Vader. and yeah. Sid and uh, Lex Luger, you know, all those feuds he had as this uh, Ric Flair, you know, as the surfer mm-hmm. stand. And I just would have liked to, I don't know if it would have worked as well, but I really do feel like after the NWO stuff was over, I would have liked to see Sting go back to the surface Sting for a little while. Yeah, I know they kind of did that with Hogan, and it didn't go over very well. Um, I know, like, was I, it ninety nine or two thousand? They brought yeah. Hogan back again. But but I think to that, to the, I think you got a great idea there, though, because it wouldn't have been the see WCW fans never liked Hulk Hogan anyway. They liked Hollywood Hogan. The WCW fans never liked Hulk Hogan anyway. So him turning back into the red and yellow wasn't going to work. But Sting, WC, he was WCW fans' guy. You know what I mean? So turning him back surfer Sting definitely, I think, would have worked and might have helped business a lot. Yeah. I just I just feel like it would have been – it just washed out a lot of what he did. Mm-hmm. So, but it also showed his versatility. Like he could, he could be surfer Sting. He could be crow Sting. He could be Wolfpack Sting, which was kind of – if you really look at it, he started doing like the beating of the chest and the, the mannerisms of the original surfer thing a little. So maybe that was his nod back to it a little bit when he was the mm-hmm. Wolfpack thing. But that's uh, that's my question that I stole from you. So, <laughs> yeah. that that? so my next one is, and I know they're very different, and that's the reason I'm asking. They're very different eras. They're very different booking. But there are two really, really great A lot of times, to be honest with you, title tournaments, yeah, there's the anticipation of who's going to come out on the top and stuff, but sometimes they drag on and et cetera, et cetera. There are two really great title tournaments in in WWF history. One of them is the WrestleMania Four, of course, where the Macho Man became the WWF champion. We all remember that. We also remember the tournament from the Survivor Series in 1998 where The Rock became the WWF champion. My question to you, what's your take which one is a better one night tournament? I, you know, you're talking to like the, the biggest macho man mark in the world. So, <laughs> but I also know you're a huge attitude era fan. So I am, but I have to say the macho man was better because at the end of the day, macho man was, he just had a huge match, probably the best match at WrestleMania three on the card. We understand how big Andre and Hogan was, but let's be real. Macho Man and Steamboat was the best match at that event. Um, Then you have it come back the next year and Macho takes that belt. Oh, boy. Mm. To me, the storytelling, the only thing I didn't like was when Hogan had to come out at the end. Right. Take the spotlight a little bit. I, maybe it, it was planned that way. I don't know if it was on purpose. I don't think Hogan was doing it to be like, screw Macho Man, you know? Yeah. I just think that was the Hogan character. Let me go out and celebrate with Macho Man, you know? Yeah. Um, but a lot of people kind of viewed it as stolen spotlight. But mm-hmm. um, the, just the, the storytelling. And Ted DiBiase is probably one of the greatest skills of all time. So if not the best. I mean, who kicks a basketball out of a kid's hand, you know? <laughs> right? I mean, yes. 
and just the stuff he was doing, like some of the stuff he couldn't get away with today. So, but anyways, um, my my thing is is that it was just the roster were both great. It's really hard to choose because I, I really liked the WWF in '98, right? It was probably mm-hmm. the best it was. But man, WrestleMania four, that was just a big deal. I mean. If I had to choose, I'm choosing WrestleMania 4. And I agree with you. And the one thing I'll say about the Survivor Series tournament is that is the and, and you know you've 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 been on shows with me where I've I've criticized Vince Russo. Although he everything he ever everything he did wasn't always bad. I'm not saying that. I just the way that he thinks of of, of the way pro wrestling should be presented more it's it's more evident in watching his booking WCW because in WWF he had Vince McMahon as an editor. But the way he thinks wrestling should be presented and the way I think wrestling should be presented are different. Um and and, and if you look at wrestling today, actually Vince Rousseau won. His style of of everything won out. But um the the Survivor Series nineteen ninety eight to me is the best thing he ever booked from beginning to end. That that the the story he told with that tournament was the best thing Vince Rousseau ever wrote. Gotcha. I agree. All right. So my question to you is is and we all know what happened in two thousand and one. Okay. So this is more of a this is like a theoretical question, really. Mm-hmm. So and, and a preference question. So we all know what happened in 2001. Vince buys WCW. We kind of get a half-assed invasion because most of the big WCW guys are going to sit at home and get paid. Right. Theoretically speaking, where do you think wrestling would be today if Bischoff and his partners, because it was very clear Bischoff was was given first dibs to buy it, and he had partners backing him. The only reason he didn't buy it, and this is what he told himself, was they didn't have a channel to put it on. Right. So where do you think wrestling would be today if Bischoff bought WCW and they let him keep it on the Turner Networks? And second part of that question, would you have preferred that over what happened? I absolutely would have preferred that over what happened. Um, I think that Eric Bischoff, people can say what they want about Eric Bischoff, but he's savvy. He's, he's intelligent. He, he, he understands the wrestling business. Um, He understands, he, he knows how to play the political game. He's, he's a, brilliant man i mean i know he says things that people think are are off the wall but whatever that's what he does that's who he is controversy creates cash it's the name of his book and did he make poor decisions see his decisions that he made in wcw weren't poor in that his creativity was bad his decisions were poor in that he let the inmates run the asylum you know in the wwf you know who's the boss it's vince mcmahon at the end of the day, he's the boss. Eric Bischoff wanted to drink brandy and smoke cigars with the boys. And that was I think that was his biggest issue as far as that goes. But back to your question. I'm rambling. Um I think I think that it would we would be, be- much better off now. I think that WCW and t- tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm just considering the talent available and everything. I think WCW 
would have looked a lot like TNA um, as far as roster structure and everything goes. And, and and then of course you would have still had, you know, the, the, that would have been the biggest thing is for Eric to get out of his own way and not let people have guaranteed contracts, not let people have creative control. Um, If he would have, if he would have been able to run it more like a business and less like a clubhouse, I think that really would have helped. But I think he had the mind to do what nobody else has been able to do. And that is go at Vince McMahon because he proved he could do it. You know, all he needed to do is a little course, uh, course correction. Um, I don't, and I, and I don't, I don't want to get that. I don't want to start bashing anything. Cause I just, and, and I don't, I, I don't hate AEW. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it does only take me like 45 minutes to watch Dynamite because I only watch what I want to watch. But that's with any show now. It takes me an hour to watch a three-hour Raw because um, I fast-forward through a lot of it. But I hate to say it, and 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 you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. You can totally disagree with me. The way I see AEW going is they are going to spend and book themselves into oblivion within five years. Um, it is essentially Tony Khan playing with real live-action figures. That's just my opinion. And again, I'm not saying it sucks and I'm not saying it's all bad. I just don't see him as being the guy that is smart enough like Eric Bischoff to beat Vince McMahon. I just don't see it. I, well, obviously Vince McMahon's beating himself right now. So that that's a fucking wild card. I have no idea what's going to happen there. But do you see what I'm saying? I, I hope it makes a little sense. No, it does. I, I agree that I think that if Bischoff would have bought it, uh, we would have had probably a lot more competition. I don't know for how many more years would it have eventually mm-hmm. gone under anyways. Maybe so, but I don't believe we would have lost. I mean, the ruthless aggression era was decent until about 07. That's when it kind of went downhill quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think that, uh, you know, I just think that had he bought it, it would have been a lot longer competition. I think things would have needed to change. NWO was kind of ran its course. Mm-hmm. WCW 2000 was pretty rough. I do like Booker T as the champion. I do like they were kind of pushing some of the other guys, like him and DDP and stuff like that. So they weren't ringing the Hogan and Nash Shammy much longer. They were actually going a different route. But Russo came in, and like you said, it wasn't there wasn't somebody who to kind of filter it, and mm-hmm. it was just. And, and honestly, I actually liked the new blood, but it just was too wild, and it wasn't yeah. together very well, and you should have put a couple other other individuals in it. And I, Jeff Jarrett, that's my favorite Jeff Jarrett. I mean, his, yeah, his yeah. NWO run slapped nuts. And I know he had already kind of started it in WWF, but yes, I said WWF because, look, let's be politically correct. It was WWF then. I hate when people right. say, and this is my opinion, and I get it. You can't say it on TV, but – at the end of the day, to say, well, back in 97, WWE, it was not WWE yeah, in 97. I, I am the same way. I If it's 1997, I say WWF or World Wrestling Federation. Yes. I mean, come <laughs> on. It was not the WWE back then. Let's stop and act like they're acting like it was never the WWF. We're not doing that. Okay. All right. But <laughs> in, in terms of the AEW stuff, I think. I think it's a better product than what WWE is putting on right now, Mm -hmm. but that's not saying a lot. 
Um, I do think he needs better storytelling. The problem is, is they're throwing stuff. The, the problem is, is that they have a lot of great talent, a lot of great people, but the stories aren't being built as well because every week it's like first time ever Moxley versus Da next week. First time ever, blah, 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 versus blah, blah, blah. Or next week, another forbidden door is open. So it doesn't yeah, feel that, Yes, and that's what, that's what I'm saying, booking themselves into oblivion. Like, my biggest example is the, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but you you got my juices flowing here. The, the MJF, and I know Cody's not there anymore, but the MJF-Cody story, how they, what, they did that program for like three months? That should have been a year-long story. You know, you you could have you could have gotten so much out of that, and they just they book things so fast. And I think one of the reasons is they have too much talent. So Tony's thinking, oh, I got to start getting this guy on TV. I got to start getting this guy on TV. Then some guy who was in the main events last month is now wrestling the first match on Dark or some. I, you know, I I don't know. I don't watch Dark, so I don't know. But I'm just saying, sometimes you can have too much talent because then people get lost in the shuffle. And they shouldn't be. I, I agree. I just, I just think they need to build the stories a lot better. And if they feel like they have so much talent, and they want to get them on TV, then make Rampage a two-hour show and do kind of what WWE is doing and have two different rosters if you need to. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to overlap like WWF used to do, where the talent was on both shows, you can do that. And then if you need to make a third show, make a third show. I mean, they're already kind of doing that with Dark on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you can still build your stories. We don't need a debut every week. Every pay-per-view, we're getting a new debut. I get they're doing, like, one every couple months. It's not like they're doing pay-per-views every month. That's great. But we don't need a debut every month or every pay-per-view. It's like then, yes. you're, then the fans are like disappointed when someone doesn't debut. <laughs> you know, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No one showed up. You know, and it's like every show, it's like oh look, there's Cesaro now. You know, Claudio mm-hmm. is me, but there he is now. He just debuted. You know, they, they you know uh, they they come out. They they bring somebody out. They they're really hot, and and that that that's where I get I get um and I'll we'll move on. But I love this discussion. That's where I get the, – the internet wrestling community blows my mind because they will constantly – and I agree. I agree. I'm not a fan of 50-50 booking, all right? I think that you you, that you, you should – pro wrestling should look like it did when we had squash matches and, and, and stars were presented as stars and everybody wasn't presented on an equal playing field other than Roman Reigns. Um but AEW, people people criticize people criticize WWE for a lot of things. But then when AEW does it, they let it go. A big example: Keith Lee. WWE didn't know what they had. Well, obviously, neither does AEW. So I'm just saying, <laughs> it's like pot calling the kettle black. You know, AEW does the same shit WWE does. It just seems cooler. Yep. But I do love me some Eddie Kingston, so that's all good. <laughs> um, okay. My next question for you, 
is actually not a wrestling question. And for me, I put this one because I don't know if I don't even know if you're a huge fan or not, but I'm sure you probably are. We're around the same age. I'm 43. You're younger than me. But let's just say this. It's like picking it's like picking my favorite kid. What is your favorite Kevin Smith movie? Oh, come on. (laughs) Same, same. I was like, man, I got to ask this. It's a tie. It's a tie between Clerks and Dogma. Okay. Um, Dogma's great. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, obviously, so I'm not going to say what happened, but which is weird that uh, we we're saying spoil when the movie's been out for what, 20 years, but yeah. if you haven't uh, seen it, you know what? It's your own fault. Yeah. I mean, Alanis Moore said his God is great. I mean, come on. And then she talks and <laughs> blows her heads off. But anyways, um, <laughs> but clerks, because the clerks hits home because mm-hmm. I worked at blockbuster for 14 years. I started as a cashier, worked my way up to a district manager and there was just so many moments at Blockbuster that was just like clerks. Exactly. Where, you're, where you're called in from home, you're working that double, and you're like, I'm not even supposed to be here. You know, and it's like, and then the, the whole, you saw how many dicks? Executively? <laughs> you know, it's just, Clerks 2 was not as good as Clerks 1. I still enjoy it. Boston, but- it's a gorgeous queen. So she made that movie for me, but it just was not as good as the first one. So, but Clerks 3, I have high hopes for. It looks Only great. because it's been so long, you know. So yeah. now we're like, yeah, finally, a Kevin Smith movie. And he looks Same. totally different, you know, because he lost all that weight. So, but um, I have to go with uh, Clerks if I had to pick one. And just because it hits home. And it's, and now All Rats is a great movie too, but um. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they're all great. It's just a matter of picking. You know, it's hard to pick. That's why I was like, haha, this is a challenging one. Um, <laughs> what do you mean I got to drink this coffee hot? Um, the For me, it's tough to... Um, I am... Uh, Mallrats hits for me. And, and Clerks... Actually, I saw Clerks in a theater in Detroit when I was a teenager. And... I was like 17 and me and my buddy went and he was 18. So I got in with him and it was amazing. Like it was an amazing experience. It was like nothing that had ever been put out there before. Mall rats hits home with me because literally my first jobs were at music stores in a mall. I worked in a mall. So the whole mall thing was great. And you I always, and as a kid, you want to, for some reason as a kid, like, Oh, I wouldn't work. I want to work at Sam Goody or I want to work at FYE or I want to work at yeah. Blockbuster. Or I want I, to work I, yeah. I literally, my first job for my, my first job when I, from the ages of 16 to 19, I worked for Sam Goody in the mall. And you were, that was like a dream job back then. <laughs> yeah. <You got laughs> I get to listen to music and talk about music. Right. You got to back see then the, they didn't, back then they didn't tell you were there. Yeah. We had cassettes and CDs. Yeah. You know what's really sad? Like I, I'm not that old, but when I started working, we still had most mostly VHS on the shelves, mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. then DVD just started coming out. But it was still all VHS. And the worst part was that damn cover box, that freaking <laughs> cover box that you would put in front of the actual tape itself, mm-hmm. and like 
when you're having, they call it block and balancing by the end of the night. You still do that at your job now. Um, they call it block and balancing. We have to go around and block and balance all the entire wall. Mm-hmm. They call it the wall. And then the core, they call it the middle of the core where the old movies were. Right. Older movies. Anything over a year old was put in the middle. So um, we would have to block and balance every night. And the worst part was is when you couldn't find that one damn box because the customer put it somewhere randomly in the store. <laughs> and a funny story. I, I do have a funny story because um, clerks had a scene kind of like this. A woman's coming into the store. I'm working the register. She tosses the VHS tape on the counter. She goes, you guys are filthy. This is nasty. And just walks out. And I'm looking at the tape, right? And it's The Lion King. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is she talking about? It's the freaking line. <laughs> so I rewind the tape and I rent it. I'm like, I want to see what the hell she's talking about. So I, we get five free rentals a week when we work there. So I took mm-hmm. one home. I'm watching. The whole movie's fine. I'm sitting there like, what is this woman talking about? Then the scene where Mufasa is raising, um, excuse Simba. me, Simba is raising his lion cub. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's like, right? And he holds him up and then it jumps. And some guy's screwing this woman. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, that's what she's talking about. <laughs> so somebody took, did the little tissue method where they put the yes. tissue over and put the tape on it. And they filmed over the Lion King ending with their porno. <laughs> That's great. And so some kid watched the Lion King porno or whoever, whatever. <laughs> I'm surprised we never heard from the woman again. I don't know. I mean, I thought I'm like, she's going to want some free movies. Right. <laughs> what's going to happen here? So I just kind of took it back and told my boss, this is defective. Don't put this back on the shelf. And then he was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, don't put it back on the shelf. And then he rented it. For the younger for for the younger listeners that have no idea what was David is talking about, VHS tapes had a uh, little hole on them, where well, on a on a movie that you would rent or purchase, that hole would be punched out or that would be open up. On a blank tape, it would be covered by a piece of plastic. Well, you could take a uh, pre-made tape, put a piece of tape over that hole, and then you could record on it. Um, yeah, and the thing was tissue. You would use toilet paper. Yeah, you'd put a little <laughs> piece of toilet paper there, and then tape on top of it with a couple pieces of scotch tape, and then you had yourself a recordable VHS tape. Yes. <laughs> so eventually, they learned the trick to not allow people to do that. But um, for a while there, we were always nervous about what was going to be on this VHS tape. So, but long story short, Clerks is my favorite. So. And I always say this whenever I have a discussion about Kevin Smith films. I am not a fan of people that don't like Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl is a really good movie. And for those of you who don't think so, you're wrong. Jersey Girl is a good movie. Of course, I watch it as I watch it as a dad with a daughter, so it hits a little different, but Yeah, and I got a lot of people that argue with me that Naked Gun wasn't good. So Yeah, they they can they they can go like, piss up a road with too. you. Yeah, what's wrong with what's you? Wrong with you? <laughs> and, and then some will go, well, O.J. Simpson was in it. And I'm like, he was getting tormented the whole movie. You should like that if you don't like <laughs> O.J. Simpson. 
He got dragged by a car. Okay. Right. His character was clumsy and did and got beat up and dragged by cars and hit by things. And and at the end he was like in a wheelchair and a giant body cast. Okay. So <laughs> right. So you kind of stole my question because I had this prepared. And honestly, it kind of mimics your question, which is kind of weird. Because I guess great minds think alike. And I promise you I had this question ready ahead on this one. I believe you. Um but with that being said, it is a movie question, and my question is: is what is your favorite Mel Brooks movie? Mm. My favorite Mel Brooks movie, and yes, again, just like I said with the Kevin Smith movies, they're all good. My favorite Mel Brooks movie, though, it's an easy one for me actually because it's my favorite comedy movie of all time, and it's Blazing Saddles. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles is the funniest movie ever made. And that is one where people who do not understand the movie will go back and watch it and go, this is terrible. This is racist. This is, it's not racist. It makes fun of racism. That's what they're doing the whole movie. They're making fun of stupid, ignorant, racist people. As a matter of fact, Mel Brooks wrote all the jokes that were about white people, and Richard Pryor wrote all the jokes that were about black people. Yeah, Richard Pryor is genius. Yes, and and I just it blows my mind when I see younger people see something like that and go, "Oh, that's racist." It's not. It is not. Is make a total mockery of. If you notice, the racist in the movies are the fucking dummies. I'm just saying. <laughs> I hate to say this, but yes, most of Mel Brooks movies are good, but I think one of his worst ones, and it killed killed me, was Dracula Dead and Loving It. Mm. I mean, that one it is. Just, yeah, I just couldn't it is. believe. We've got a movie with Leslie Nielsen and Mel Brooks together, and that was what you got. Right, yeah. But my it favorite was... is Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, that's also fantastic. And, and they're and both and they're both movies on Frankenstein. So they're bo- they're all and his, all of his movies are so good that you can just recite them. You know, it's just I, I just recite them all the time. I can just like. Uh, we, the, you know, the scene, the scene with the, um, with the toll, where they, where they set up the toll booth on Blazing Saddles to trick the dumb hillbillies. Yeah. They, they set up a toll booth folks. And, the, and if you haven't seen this movie, I'm not, I don't care if I'm spoiling it. It's from 1970. It's from like before I was born. But anyway, yeah, they set up a toll booth in the middle of the desert that these idiots could easily just go around but they all stop, and the Taggart, the, the lead heel, looks back and goes, somebody's got to go back and get a shitload of dimes. Cracks well, me up every time. They that joke in Robin Hood, you know, with the toll. Yep. A roll is a roll, and a toll is a toll. And Dave Chappelle's like, I'm on the east side, I'm on the west side. <laughs> the west side, he's like, it's the principle of the thing. And it, my favorite part of the movie, when he comes back, he's like, He's like, so is, is everyone gone? He's like, everyone's gone. And he's like, my dog ran over by a carriage. My cat, and you know, he's like, my mouse eaten by the cat. He's like, my cat choked on the goldfish. <laughs> and, it's like, and then he's like, oh, he left you the, the key to the greatest treasure in all the land. May I keep it? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think I'll respect my father's wishes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Master, you've been gone so long. You've grown amazing tits. 
He's like, oh my God, what happened to your arms? You lost them in battle. Yeah, that's that's what it is. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, but you grew some amazing boobs. <laughs> he's, I'm over here blinking. He's taking a dump on the toilet. He's like, I knew I was a bit drafty in here. <laughs> I mean, and then the guy just speaks all out of words. He's like, don't you know that it is illegal, you know? <laughs> Big forest, too. <laughs> yes, that's he's fantastic. Like, Wasn't your mole on the other side of your face? And he's like, I have a I mole. I have a mole? <laughs> <laughs> I was this close. I touched it. I was this close. I touched it. I mean, that's the whole movie is just classic, 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 classic. She's like... Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't quote Blazing Saddles as much as we can quote... Uh, uh, Robin Hood, because Blazing My Saddles has... part of Blazing Saddles was when um, he was hiding him around the racist white people mm-hmm. and his hands come out, and so yeah. he's like, oh my god, I told you to scrub your hands and he's like... after we, I told you to scrub my hands after the cross burning. He was <sighs> pretending it was dirt and he was like scrubbing his hands. It was just... Two of my favorite two of my favorite things in Blazing Saddles, and then actually I don't have any more questions, so I guess unless you do, we'll wrap up. But um two of my favorite things. First, when Gene Wilder's character wakes up in the jail cell and Sheriff Bart goes, Are we awake? And Gene Wilder goes, Are we black? <laughs> and he goes, Yes, yes, I am. And he goes, Then we're awake. And very confused. And then the the other one I love is, and and you can tell that they left in the actor that plays Sheriff Bart's name is Cleavon Little. But you can tell that they left him that this was kind of improvised, and they left him really laughing in the movie because it's very genuine. But it's when Gene Wilder goes, "You'll have to excuse the the couth of these people and and their 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 racist comments or whatever he says." And he goes, "They're they're you know they're real." Down to earth, or real down salt of the earth people, you know, morons. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that too. It's just such well, a funny I, movie. History of the World Part One was good. Oh, yeah. was questionable scene. She goes, she goes, what? She goes, when he's going for unemployment, she's oh, like, Did you bullshit this week? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, but it, it's funny because he's, she's like, What do you do for a living? Philosopher. She's like, Ah. Bullshit artist. <laughs> bullshit this week? No. Did, Did you bullshit last week? No. Did you try to bullshit? Yes. Yes. <laughs> now I know that movie has a lot of questionable scenes and stuff like that because nowadays people are a little more sensitive. I totally understand. But I don't just know understand you... that Mel Brooks like was not making these jokes to to nope. be racist it was to make fun of people who were so really. that, and that's what humor is humor is to make light of bad situations etc cetera, etc cetera. did you know at the age of 97 he is currently working on the history of the world part two? Oh, i can't wait and then i was hoping he'd do another robin hood and kind of updates him married and stuff mm-hmm. i would like to see that and i want to see dave Chappelle as the the sheriff and they're like a black sheriff he's like hey it worked in Blazing Saddles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Throwback. that's my favorite movie. And then the, you know, the were men, were men and tights. I can do the whole song. You know, it's tights. Yeah. 
you know, it's just uh, we're a bunch. <laughs> it, those are just some of my favorites, like Naked Gun, Airplane. We just don't get parody movies like that anymore, like nope. we used to. Nope. And if they, um, and some most of them aren't any good. So yeah, the last the last series that kind of did that kind of thing was the Scary Movie series, and the first I thought the first two Scary Movies were good, right. and then after that they lost me. The only scene in Scary Movie Four that was good was when Kevin Hart was with uh, what's that guy's name? I can't remember his name. The other actor, and he's like, they're doing a Brokeback Mountain parody. Mm, and, mm-hmm. and so they're laying in bed together and then he like reaches over him. He's like, huh, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just trying to grab some nuts. And then he reads, have you seen this scene? I'll send it to you. Yes. Matt. Yes. Yes. And I he have. grabs over and it's like a bag of peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just start singing to each other. I've been alone with you. That was the only good scene in that entire movie. Um, I can't, what? I can't remember. I can't remember which one it is, but one of them, one of those scary movies has one of the funniest gimmicks in a, in a comedy movie I've ever seen. I really think it's funny. I don't know which one it is, but throughout the whole movie, every scene that the sheriff's in, her hat gets bigger. I think that was three, but I can't remember. Because the problem was is the Wayan brothers did one and two. That's why they were so great. Because mm-hmm. obviously, Don't Be a Menace South Central or Drinking Your Juice in the Hood is one of the best movies of all time. Ever. I don't yes. care what anybody says. Message, you know. <laughs> but I wear the low top with the Tech Nine. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just. And then, you know, she's got more kids than the Wayans' mother. You know, that movie was just great, too. But the Wayans brothers are just geniuses. So the, um, the first two were directed and, and, and filmed with those two. And then, like, three on with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why they weren't any good and then uh marlon wayans did that one about paranormal activity that was funny too i don't think i've ever seen that one yeah that one's good because it's like a, a parody and like the i can't remember what movie was that uh where they had the camera in the room and the ghosts were coming back i can't yeah, remember yeah. they were doing a parody of that movie where the camera was filming everything in the house yeah you were right it was paranormal activity yeah paranormal yeah, yeah and they were Parroting that, like there's a scene where the like the girlfriend's farting and stuff, and he's watching it on camera, and it was just funny as hell. Like, and then there's one where he does a parody of um, Groundhog Day. It's on Netflix now. If you haven't seen it, and uh, no, I haven't. He keeps waking up naked, <laughs> and he has to like find clothes and figure out his day and stuff. And then once that day's over, he wakes up again naked in a different place. I'm going to have to check that out. What's that? I'm going to have to check that out. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's really good. Um, I don't remember the name, but you could probably just Google it. Yeah. It's a parody of Groundhog Day. So, and of course, Hot Chicks was good, obviously. And then they're in the car. They don't know the words to Vanessa Carlton's song. And the only part they know is tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Terry Crews is in that movie. That guy's great. He's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, if I could bounce my chest like he does, you know, <laughs> only. So, yeah, well, I don't really ex- have, I, we were supposed to do five questions, but I think I'm just about done. So, I yeah, know. I, I only, I only had, I only had three. Um, 
Because I was like, I'll do three or four, and then I got three done, and then I got distracted, and then I didn't write another one down. So I mean, we, we could do, do an entire episode on Mel Brooks movies. I mean, yes, for sure. We could do like a watch along, and you can really see like how much I know about Robin Hood Men and Tights, like you know, all the scenes. Just do a sign. We'll just do a simulcast of you reciting the movie as the movie pl- plays. Yeah. Friday Kroger. And then the horse <laughs> runs up and he jumps and he moves. And she's like, if I were you, I would never do that again. Before you do it, you must go through it or else I blew it. <laughs> That's like on Blazing Saddles. Now go do that voodoo that you do so well. Or that scene where she's like, it's true, it's true. Yes, it's true, it's true. <laughs> and then the next morning, next morning she's serving him Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> and he's like, oh no, baby, I'm all Wiener Schnitzeled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could go on for days, ladies and gentlemen, but I think we will sign off here. David? How about Leslie Nielsen and a full body condom? Oh, yes. <laughs> is this some kind of bust? Yes, it is. My favorite part, you knew the movie was going to be great right at the beginning when the queen is sitting there and he takes the microphone into the bathroom. He's like, ah, ah, oops, ah. (laughs) (laughs) He's peeing with the mic on. (laughs) Guess what I'm going to go watch when we're done here now. What's which one? (sighs) Make it fun? Yes. I had to buy the box set when it first came out on DVD at Blockbuster. It came in this beautiful blue and pink box set. And it was like all three of them. And it was like $29.99. I was like, first paycheck, I'm getting Naked Gun in a DVD player. <laughs> first paycheck. And, and back then, DVD players were like $300. Yeah. So that was my whole paycheck. Because I only made five fifteen an hour. So, And I wasn't supposed to work 40 hours because I was only 13 and nine months. So I was only supposed to do like part time, but like the manager was like, "You can work as much as you want. I don't care." We know how retail. We know how retail goes. <laughs> I was like, "I want the money." I was doing 50, 60 hours a week and then going to school. I didn't care. I wanted the money. I was the I, same I, way. I was like big pimp and taking those dollars up to the machine, getting me a peach papaya drink. Remember those fruit work drinks? <laughs> yes, fruit works. We when just talked about that. Vending machines at the. Uh, we we the, just. We just talked about fruit works on the Motley Soup podcast because we we went through an article that had like forty food items from the nineties that aren't around anymore. Jogging the memory, you know. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Well, peach yeah. papaya was a thing, man. But we'd be so blown. Like there was like twenty vending machines across the school, and there was like at least fifteen in the cafeteria, and they had three or four in other places. And you'd go to every machine, and they were sold out. And you're like, "Are you kidding me?" And like you knew when they were stocking, like because then you, you you know you would wait and then wait in that line because everybody. Yes. And then the, your buddy walking up, hey, can I borrow a dollar twenty five? Because back then they were a dollar twenty five. They just went up from a dollar, so they were a dollar twenty five in the vending machines. So you're like, yes. oh, and this is two thousand when I started high school. So I was uh, I had a lot of dollars because I was working. So, but my buddy had more because he was like a key holder at AMC theaters. So mm-hmm. he was big baller back then. You know, he was making like six something an hour, seven something an hour. And like, 
he would come in and be like, who wants to drink? Who wants to drink? You know, and pull the water out of his pocket. And then I used to hate the guy that would sit across the cafeteria and he would get two lunches every day. So he would have two sets of fries and dip it in mayonnaise. And what I'm a like, this guy, this guy over there just eating away. Like, and I can't, even, all I can get is one piece of papaya. You know, I don't, I can't <laughs> eat one bro this week because I just bought Naked Gun and a DVD player. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was in high school in the late 90s from 94 to 97 were my high school years. And first of all, I was my, my sophomore years when I got my job at Sam Goody. For most of our sophomore and junior years, since I was the one with a job, I was the one with a car. So I was the guy we we were driving around in my car everywhere. And um, I'll tell you, hot hot Cheetos and and winter fresh gum. Let me just say, <laughs> I ate a lot of hot Cheetos and I chewed a lot of winter fresh gum. Yeah. I don't even know if they make winter fresh gum anymore. So let me ask. Actually, I got a question now that we're talking about that. Okay. So I was born in 1986. So I was a kid for the 90s, which is great, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I always wondered, like, if I could add 10 years on my life, let's say I'd be 30, 47 right now, and I was able to be an adult in the 90s, I wonder how great that would have been, right? Would you have preferred to be a kid in the 90s and be my age? You're only six years older. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. let's say theoretically speaking, if you could have been my age, where most of the '90s you're a kid up until 2000, you're only 14. Mm-hmm. Or would you leave it the same? And was it great being an adult in the '90s? It was great because I, I mean, I, I hit adulthood in '97. I turned 18 in '97, mm-hmm. um, and I would not take it back for anything. And I know everybody. It, Everything is generational. So everybody says this about their generation. But I love the fact that in my formative years, I went, the music that was there existed, the movies that were there existed, the wrestling that was there existed. I wouldn't take it back for anything. Like my generation is the generation of grunge rock. My generation is the generation of mid to late 90s WWF, my favorite shit. Would it, it pro- but it probably wouldn't be my favorite shit, you know? If, cause you know, you're going to have, you're going to have kids right now. Like my son is 20. All he knows other than maybe something he's seen when I watch something old, but to him, the great era of, of wrestling is like SmackDown 2010 or whatever. You know what I mean? It's also generational, but no, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved being the age I was when I was that age. And the fact that when I was in high school, you know, um, like I said, just the music and the movies and everything, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think I would have loved if I could, if I had a time machine and I was given the chance for them to say, Hey, you can go back and be an adult, be born in 76 instead of 86, mm-hmm. and or maybe 79, whatever, right? And be an adult right. just to see how it was like. Cause like the economy was great then, you know, I do know there was mm-hmm. an internet bubble. A lot of people partook on and a lot of people went broke from it, but, um, cause I actually just watched the, the, what is that? The vice TV nineties episodes. Oh yes. Yes. And there was one about the, the internet bubble. 
and stuff. So, but I think if I, I think I would like to see, but also be given the chance to take it back. Right. So Mm -hmm. just to see how it was to be an adult, to actually see what it was like kind of working because retail was like booming in the nineties, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People were paid very well considering, um, Man, being a store manager at a Blockbuster or um, a Walmart or anywhere of that nature, you're you're making six figures, you know, essentially. Right. Yeah. Um, money went a lot further then, you know, like five fifteen an hour might have been crappy nowadays, but back in the late nineties, it wasn't that bad, you know. Oh so, yeah, I remember. I remember when I was sixteen and I first got my driver's license. I remember paying like. No shit, probably a dollar nineteen for a gallon of gas. So I mean, yeah, you're right. Five fifteen went a lot, lot farther back then. <laughs> oh, it did, and way, way further. So, um, it, it's just one of those things where I just wonder what it felt like. To be an adult in the 90s, like all this stuff is coming, internet's starting around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. Internet's way better now, right? I mean, right. I used internet when I was a kid. It was terrible. You know, that ear, 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 sh- yeah. Sh- yeah. crap. Um, and then someone would pick the phone up and knock you off the web, you know? Yes, damn it. <laughs> get off the phone, you know? <laughs> My mom was addicted to the computer, so like I would get an hour. Like, I would ask her, can I get on the computer for a little while? Because we only had one at one point. I was like, can I get on the computer for a little while? She's like, sure, I'm going to go take a nap. And, like, I'd sit down. I'd get comfortable. I had I was in those role-playing feds back then. Yeah. So I would go in a couple of those. AOL chat rooms were the best. I would go into those. And then I would play a little Yahoo Spades, which is great. And then, like, 20 minutes later, she comes storming around the corner. Like, I'm away. Get off. You said I had yeah. an hour. Yeah, you, you know, said I had an hour. I couldn't sleep. Get off. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so eventually, like, when I started working, I got my own computer, and then DSL came out, so I got my own internet, too, because we both couldn't be on at the same time. Um, and plus, it got to the point where, you know, if you get on the internet, no one can call you. Right, yes. So we just eventually, like, you know, I got DSL. It was great. But I just, you know, wanted to see what it was like to live in the 90s. Jerry Springer and Maury, all that crap's on TV. You know, Married with Children. You know, just watch those shows as they premiere on TV, what it was like, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember how I was 9 or 10. 9 or 10 at the time. But I remember literally sitting on the couch with my mom watching the first episode of the Simpsons when it aired. Holy crap. That's like 1988, didn't it? Yeah. That's what I I was nine or 10. So yeah, it had to be right around then, but because they were originally a cartoon on the Tracy Ullman show. Right. Yeah. And they were, I I watched it too. So, but it's hard to remember a lot of stuff Mm because I was still little. Like I remember certain aspects and certain pieces of my childhood but I don't remember a lot of it. It's gone now. Like you forget so much. Like yeah. it's hard. To yeah, or or you'll or you'll for or you'll forget it, and then you'll watch something, and it'll jog a memory. You know. Yeah. Like, oh, I remember this now. Yeah, I, totally. But yeah, I, I can vividly remember like 
me wanting to watch this, the because I had seen the characters on the Tracy Ullman show and they were getting their own show and me wanting to watch the Simpsons and my mom being like, all right, fine, we'll watch it. It's stupid, but we'll watch it. And blah, blah. And I just remember watching the first episode of the Simpsons as it aired, you know, I think it was like 8 PM on Thursday night or something like that on Fox. Oh man. I remember 92 when Power Rangers first came out. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Like, and I was like, and everyone was fighting on who was going to be the red Ranger. And then the green Ranger came and nobody wanted to be the red Ranger anymore. And it was like, I want to be the green Ranger. You could be the red Ranger. You know, first it was like, everyone wanted to be the red Ranger. Um, but um, man, that that was those are the, I, I I do have one vivid memory. I used to have this tall yellow dresser in my bedroom. It was about it was a five Chester drawer dresser, and I had a little TV on top of it, mm-hmm. little TV. I would say today's standards, it was like a twelve inch. It was teeny, but it, you know, it was it had um. You know, back in the day when you used to have the one cable box and you would run the wires from it into the other oh, yeah. And yeah. cable. That's what I had. It was like directly intended into the TV. Um, I don't. I think you can still kind of do that now. I don't think so now. But um, anyways, I had that one TV and there was no remote for it. And I, it, it was one of those dial TVs, you know, when you turn the yep, dial. I- Yes, I had the same kind of thing, yes. And so it had like 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, and that was it. Like it had a few channels. But you got the main stuff. You got 4, 5, 7, 9. Mm-hmm. So you got NBC, Fox, ABC, CBS. You got 20, which was UPN at one point. I don't know if it was something before then, but I, I remember UPN. You got Channel 50, which was WB. Um, so you got those channels because um, that's all you really got if you didn't have a cable box. So I was I would have to climb up the dresser to turn the TV because I couldn't reach it. So mm-hmm. I would climb up. It. I just remember vividly climbing up once, and then the dresser fell on top of me. Oh God! I don't know how I didn't get hurt, and I have no idea how the TV didn't break. <laughs> but and apparently it happened three or four different times. It wasn't just a one-off. Okay, so but I just remember. It's hard to I, – I remember the dresser falling on me, but I don't remember what happened afterwards. So Apparently, um, you get – it's that – maybe it was I, that uh, – you know how they say when people are in times of stress, they get like superhuman adrenaline strength. Maybe you just lifted the dresser off up of yourself. Like I think my mother ran in the room and picked it up. Yeah, my but I, my story's pretty cool too, though. <laughs> you can hear me screaming. Well, here – I have a story when I was two that my sisters laugh at occasionally, but – I was two years old. My sister was three, turning four. My grandmother on my dad's side, this was 1988, she had cancer. And I guess um, they brought her home for hospice care to the apartment. Mm-hmm. And she used to have this really stinky uh, perm. Like it smelled so bad. Like she'd perm her hair in the apartment and it would stink the whole house up. Um, but, anyways, she was passing that day. So apparently, um, I swallowed a penny or something that same day too, so because my mom mm-hmm. turned me upside down. I guess she said I puked it up that way. I don't. I don't recall. But what I do recall is, is when my grandmother was passing away, this really thick smoke started coming under the door, like really thick, like you couldn't see mm-hmm. your feet in it or your hands in it. No one else could see it. The apartment wasn't on fire, so. 
I believed God was taking my grandmother's soul at that time because I could see the smoke and it was cold. It was like right. very cold smoke, like misty and it was thick. You couldn't see your feet in it. And it only lasted for like a couple minutes and it was gone. And I kept telling everybody, I saw it. I saw it. I saw the, the smoke and all that stuff. And, you know, and I would tell them and my mom would have me tell this story to everybody. I would tell them, if God came for me, I'll just hang on. <laughs> and she'd go my mom would take me around to everybody and go tell david tell them what you would do if god came to get your soul and i'd go hang on hang on <laughs> i just hang on and they're like well what would you hang on to whatever's available <laughs> or whatever whatever's available i'll just hang on so it's just interesting how i can remember stuff like that what I, mm-hmm. I remember playing on the schoolyard occasionally. I remember once we were playing street football and I wasn't paying attention. And I was trying to catch the football and I flipped over someone's parked car. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I remember stuff like I, I remember my injuries very vividly. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I remember but- playing football and some girl tackling me from behind and I flew like 10 yards and hit like a water spigot. One of those water sprinklers that was in the ground mm-hmm. on the football field. I hit my head on that, and I woke up two hours later, and everyone was gone. So they kind of just left me there. So maybe they thought I was dead. I don't know. Yeah, we're just gonna um, get out of here. I, I didn't see anything. Didn't see anything. They, that's like a movie right there. But they all left my ass. But, um, I can remember stuff like that, but I can't remember like, you know, sitting down watching stuff. You know, like oh. Mm-hmm. Like home and home improvement was on, you know. I I remember, you know, watching Raw and, and right. I really watching WCW guy back then. Um, I'd watch ECW at midnight because my parents didn't care, so I would watch ECW right. at the time too. Um, but I never flipped back and forth. I watched Nitro for eight o'clock and then I flipped back to Raw at nine. Mm-hmm. Like I never flipped back and forth. I was not a WCW guy. My buddy was, but I wasn't. So. Yeah, I always, I always VH. I always, we had, a, I had a VCR in my room, um, and I would, I, I would, I would record Nitro upstairs and watch Raw downstairs. Man, to be an adult um, during that time, the, the, bef- I got okay. I gotta say before, um, before we, before I have to tell a story. You're talking about memories thinking mm-hmm. of things like that you remember from your childhood. I have to tell a story about mine that I, re- I will never forget. It is, first of all, when I was a kid, it was the most trouble I ever got in. Secondly, for those of you that are listeners of our other shows, I will tell you the story of the day I tried to kill Aaron. Okay. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying like I'm his big brother. Ooh, I knocked him down. I no, I really tried to kill Aaron. Um, two times actually the first time i remember i was sitting he was he was in the both these times he was a baby like he was like a month old or something the first time i was i remember sitting he was my mom had him sitting in his car seat we were going to be going somewhere and i was sitting in like a little wooden stool that was mine beside him and she was in the kitchen getting stuff around for us to leave or whatever and he was in the car seat so i just reached over and tipped the car seat over forward I remember my mom flipping out. Oh, my God. Why did you do that? And the baby's laying on the floor and blah, blah, blah. 
But the time I really, really did almost kill him was uh, he was taking a nap in his crib. And I don't know where my mother was. She might have been downstairs watching TV or something or whatever. I can't remember if that house had an upstairs, downstairs. Anyway, it doesn't matter because she didn't notice. But um, I had closed the door behind me very quietly. And then I got the baby powder like three whole bottles of perfume and cologne, um, dry cereal, I believe, and all this stuff, and I just dumped it all over him. Like, like took the oh, wow. took the took the cap off the baby powder and dumped the bottle on him, and took the cap off the cologne bottles and dumped it all over him. Oh my god, I was I that is the most trouble I ever got in in my life. I think I think my mom, my dad, my grandpa. My grandma and an aunt probably all got a shot at whooping my ass that day. <laughs> oh, uh, for sure. Yeah, I tried to kill Aaron when he when I was when I was five and he when I was wait when I was four and he was a baby. Yes, I tried to kill him. Literally tried to kill him. Yeah, and speaking of in trouble, um, and my mom would tell everyone this story too. Apparently, when I was I think four, maybe three, um. My grandmother used to go to bingo all the time and she would bring her bingo bag over and sleep at the house. So apparently I decided to go in her bag and get all the bingo dobbers out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the stampers that color the co- uh, the cards. It's like red, green, blue, all types of colors. And I took the bingo dobbers and I daubed up the entire wall with these bingo <laughs> dobbers. Row. And I guess... Time went by, no one noticed because they didn't come in our room yet. But I just recall getting my ass whipped down the hallway. And um, I do recall um, basically being told, you're going to scrub this wall until it comes out. Mm -hmm. Like they were not going to repaint the wall. And that shit never came off the wall. You could not. There was no Mr. Clean Spot. I was going to say, that is some deep, wet ink. Yeah, I mean, maybe a Mr. Clean sponge might have done the trick because I've Mr. Cleaned some of my walls, but I think it's also the type of paint you use. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what type of paint this was, but it never came out. The whole few years we lived there after that, at, in that particular apartment, we it just never came out. So the walls were always bingo docked. <laughs> so my mom would tell everyone that story, and then she'd tell the story when I took the Pepto-Bismol out of the fridge and poured it on the carpet. And then she would tell the story about the time. And I can tell you this, I was like five. And um, I, I don't know what happened. I assume because back at, back then, this was 1993, um, people weren't as worried about their kids as they are now. No. So my parents ran up the road briefly and I was with my sister who was a little older. Um, and I don't know if it was just brief or what. It was only a couple minutes. Um, An emergency might have happened. I don't remember the story. But apparently I decided to go outside the door in my underwear. And I locked myself out of the apartment. Oh. (laughs) And there's no phones, no cell phones, nothing. So I just had to sit in the hallway until my parents got home. So there they come home. A couple minutes later, I'm sitting in the hallway in my underwear. Basically. 
So, and, and by the way, Muppet Babies was on TV at that time, so I was pissed because I missed the episode of Muppet um, Babies. So. Muppet Baby. Um, well, come true. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That being said, David can attest to this. I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in the hour and a half we've been recording this, I've been drinking beer since we started. He knows me. Mm-hmm. So your venerable co-host, Mr. Maxson, really has to be. So we are <laughs> going to wrap it. But I have really enjoyed doing this. I miss the show. We're going to have to do this more often, not every six months. Yeah, maybe we could do like a, a next show. We can make it like favorite 90s shows and we can just talk about because I was also watching a documentary on the original Nickelodeon. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Man, the, oh, the, uh, the Orange Years or whatever it's called? Yes. I was yes. like, yes. everything they I showed, I'm like, too. oh, my God. Oh, yeah, my God. Me, too. Me too. Double dare. <laughs> uh, when they were talking about, like, uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Ah Real Monsters, I'm like, oh, my God. Those are the shows. Salute your, salute your shorts. Yes. Yeah. Bar oh, or, uh, hey, dude. Hey, dude. And then they were like showing Rugrats. And oh, man. I'm like, man, this is like, I mean, like I said, I would jump in a time machine right now and just watch myself as a kid and just enjoy it. Like, mm-hmm. and just look at myself and go, you had it lucky. There is nothing on TV like that nowadays. Right. No, no. You, you can't wake up at, on a Saturday at 7 a.m. and plan your day until noon when the apartment shows would come on. Remember that? Like you knew your Saturday was over because the apartment show would come on. I I would watch the cartoons until 11 on Saturday morning. And then at 11 in my area at 11 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning was WWF superstars. And then I was outside playing. And then at six o'clock was highway to heaven. No, excuse me. Five o'clock, five Oh five was highway to heaven. Don't ask me why I watched it, but I watched it. And then at 6.05 was WCW Saturday night. Yep. That was your Saturday back then, everybody. Yeah, that's my Saturday until noon. And then the apartments.com shit would come on. And that's my cue to go outside and play. (laughs) Um, My parents didn't have to get out of bed back then. I would get up, pour myself a bowl of cereal, watch TV. Um, They would stay in bed. They knew I could pour my own cereal. They didn't have to get up. They were fine. Yep. (laughs) Well, unless there was no cereal, then I would just watch cartoons because there was times yes. there was no cereal. So, like, whatever. Um, but those were the days. And then, like, you had your lineup. You had X-Men and uh, Spider-Man and Power Rangers and Beetleborgs and everything. You, know, you just knew what you were going to watch. And mm-hmm. you were just prepared. So, Well, any parting words for our listeners? Uh, thanks for listening, whoever is listening, and um, please, please, if you haven't bought your tickets to Russell Bash yet, do so. It's a big deal. It's our first convention. We would like the support and the love that you bring. Uh, we we put a lot of hard work into what we do. Um, we've been doing this since March of 2020. I've lost a little bit more hair since then, um, even though there was none already. Uh, so all we're asking is that you show up, you support all the wonderful folks that are coming out. Um, continue supporting the page, support Nate and his team. I know I don't get on the We Can't Wrestle podcast much because they record late at night and I've already worked all day and I got to do other stuff. Plus I'm either busy shipping out cello figures or shipping out uh, meet and greet stuff or whatever. So I'm always doing stuff. So we do love it when we do love it when you can make it. And whether you're on the show or not, you're there in spirit and part of the family. So 
Sure. And then, it, you know, just keep listening, support the channel. Hopefully one day we can do this full time and can get out of our pesky jobs that we're working now. Um, yes. I know this is going to be listened to. So I love my job. Um, <laughs> but thank you for all the support. And we'll see anybody August 20th. Uh, or if, if you can't make it, send some stuff in. And Or if you're coming to Icons August 6th, we have Johnny Gargano. And we're going to do a virtual meet and greet later that day. So uh, come and see us then or come live then. Uh, but hopefully we'll see you all at WrestleBash. So. Absolutely. And I would like to take the time to thank everybody for listening and supporting the Asylum, the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network, and everything that David and I are involved in what we're doing. We appreciate you. And without you, there is no us. So we really do appreciate you. So thank you for joining us, everybody on this edition of Maximum Gold, and we'll see you next time, hopefully sooner than this time. And we'll see you next time around, everybody. Have a great night. See ya.